Lord Jesus, we thank you that you promised where we're gathered in your name that you'd be here in our midst and that you are in the room, that you are right here, right now. And we're asking you, Lord Jesus, to have your way in all of our lives, to release your kingdom and power in each of our hearts and lives today. Don't let any of us miss what you want to speak into us and what you want us to receive. We're asking that this would be a supernatural moment. That none of us are just walking through the motions on cruise control today, but we would respond to what you're doing. So we're asking you, we're inviting you to pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Would you anoint me to speak your words? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was this guy, he was in the locker room of a gymnasium, and there's lots of other guys in the locker room, and there's a telephone, cell phone on the bench that rings, and he reaches over and he picks up the cell phone, opens it up, and there's a woman on the other end, he says hello, and she says, hi honey, it's me, are you still at the gym? He says, yes I am. She says, well I'm at the shop, and I just found this beautiful leather coat. It's only $2,000. Is it okay if I buy it? He says, well, if you really like it, honey, you go ahead and get that coat. She said, well, thank you. Also, I stopped by the Lexus dealership today, and I saw kind of the the, the new cars that are coming out. And there's one that I just really love. It's uh, it's $100,000. So what do you think about us buying that? He said, well, if, if you really like it, but make sure you get all the options. On it. For that much money, I want all the options. And uh, she said, okay. And she said, just one more thing. She said, uh, I was uh, talking to Janie, and I found out that house that I loved that was, you know, purchased last year is actually back on the market. And for just for $1 million, we can buy this house. Now, remember, this phone is on speakerphone, and all these guys are listening to this conversation. And uh, he says, $100,000, I'll tell you what, offer them, I mean, a million dollars, offer them 900000 and then uh, we'll just negotiate until we finally get the price that uh, we both agree on. She says, fantastic. Uh, I love you, and I'll, I'll just see you later, honey. And he said, well, I love you too. Bye-bye. About this time, all these guys, you know, when listening to this conversation are just uh, astonished by this conversation. Their jaws have dropped. And they're like, and he's, he finally looks at them all, and he goes, Oh, by the way, whose phone is this? <laughs> Sometimes you can't understand the story unless you hear the whole story. Well, this is also true about the Bible. See, a lot of people don't understand the Bible because they're just taking pieces here and there. They don't understand the whole story. And one of the things that we're doing this year is we're taking time to do this series called God's Grand Story. And we want to understand how the whole story fits together and then how it applies to our lives. We're taking this year and really focusing on the Old Testament, and then next year we'll focus on the New Testament so we can really understand the whole story. Now, so far, I've I've summarized the whole Bible in in three simple parts, and that is the whole Bible is this story, the story of paradise, then paradise lost, and then how paradise will one day be regained. And that really is the story of the Bible. What we did is we start off by summarizing the Old Testament. 
I summarized the Old Testament into six parts, six simple parts. And those parts are, number one, beginnings. You know, Genesis in the beginning, the beginnings, followed by wilderness wanderings. That'll take us Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, followed by the promised land. And now we have the promised land where Joshua will lead the people into the promised land, the land of Canaan. That third part is followed by united kingdom under King David. And that's followed by a divided kingdom after his son Solomon, after his reign, it's a divided kingdom. And then that's followed by captivity, where Judah's taken into Babylon captivity, and the promise of the future kingdom. And that's the Old Testament. And we're going to begin to focus today on the wilderness wanderings. But I want to just remind you of how we summarize the book of Genesis. Real simple. Book of Genesis, we divide into four events followed by the lives of four people. The four events are we have creation. Then we have the fall, the entrance of sin into the world. Followed by the flood during the time, days of Noah. Followed by the division of the nations. Where at the Tower of Babel, the nations are scattered, their languages are confused. And now we understand why there's all these different people groups, ethnicities, and languages in the, on the earth. Those four events are followed by the lives of four people. Those four people are Abraham and the life of his son Isaac, the life of his son Jacob, whose name God changed to Israel, who has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, and his favored son, Joseph. Now, if you remember how we end the story with Joseph, Joseph, of course, by the sovereignty of God and by the power of God, is goes to Egypt and ends up second most powerful man in all of Egypt, therefore all of the world. And it was during a time of famine, so his brothers and their families come to Egypt so they can actually have food and during that time live in Egypt. But the Bible says, Then there arose a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And then the Israelites, these 12 tribes and all their families and, and all their descendants, are then put into captivity and made slaves in Egypt. So now we're going to see that the next thing that's going to happen in, in the wilderness wanderings is that God is going to deliver them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and bring them back to the promised land. So wilderness wanderings is really four books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now Exodus primarily is where God delivers his people from slavery, rescues them from the enemies. And the book of Leviticus is God is going to give them explicit instructions as his people on how they are to worship and how they are to live. And in the book of Numbers, we see God is going to be guiding them by you know, a, a, a column of fire and a column of, of cloud, and, but he's going to be guiding them, providing for them, discipling his wayward people. And then finally, the book of Deuteronomy, we see that God is going to patiently remind this next generation of Israelites how to live their lives in a way that honors God, in a way that blesses the world, because Israel is supposed to be a blessing to the nations, and how it really causes them to be personally fulfilled in their connection with God. So the goal of all of this, the goal of all of wilderness wanderings, actually the goal of all the Bible, is that we would have an intimate relationship with God. 
He wants to speak to us, and he wants us to speak to him and worship him and be in a relationship with him. God has never, ever really been into religion. God has always been about relationship. He's not into just ritual. He's into us, our hearts connecting with him, us walking with him. And he gives us ways in which we can do that. So let's jump into the wilderness wanderings. So for several centuries now, the Israelites have been in in captivity in Egypt. These are God's chosen people. They're living as aliens in the land of Egypt. And so as they are slaves, God decides that it's time to deliver them out. And there is a Jewish child born by the name of Moses. And Moses is providentially rescued from this edict of death that came down from the Pharaoh. And he's sovereignly, providentially rescued by the Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter then raises him in the courts of Egypt. So he's raised as royalty, even though he knows he is an Israelite. And one day he sees one of his kinsmen being poorly treated, and he defends that fellow Israelite. In the process, he kills an Egyptian. And as a result of that, he then flees to the land of Midian, to the desert. And while he's in the desert as a shepherd for many years, he finally comes this moment where God is going to speak to him out of a burning bush. So let's jump right into that story. Exodus 3, starting in verse 6. And God said to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold... The cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses is God's chosen leader to bring the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, and lead them to the promised land. All right, now verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Then God said this in verse 12 through verse 15. And he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said, says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, 
And this is my memorial name to all generations. Okay, now, there is a great revelation just given to Moses about God here. That revelation, of course, is preserved and given to us about God. And God just says some things about himself that we really need to understand. And I want to break it down. He says three things. The first thing he said to Moses is, I am who I am. Now, that's not his name. He hasn't given his name yet. That's not his name. He said, I am who I am. First thing he says is, uh, is about his being. I absolutely am. So before you get my name, get my being. That I am who I am. I absolutely am. Now this is first and fundamental and really of infinite importance that we get this. I absolutely am. That's what God says. All right, we'll come back to that. Second thing. He says this, verse 14b, he says, say to this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, he still has not given us his name yet or given Moses his name yet. He is building a bridge between his being and his name. Here he simply puts the statement of his being in the place of his name and says, I am has sent me to you. So the one who is, the one who absolutely is, has sent me to you. Then he says the third thing. He's finally going to tell us his name. God says to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord. Now, in the English Bible, the Lord is going to be in all caps, L-O-R-D. And every time you see that, In your English Bible, in all caps, L-O-R-D, that is the name in Hebrew, Yahweh. And he says, he gives Moses his name here. He says, say to the people, the Lord, say to the people, literally, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Yahweh. So God finally gives his name. It's almost, in the English versions, it's almost always translated, if you have a true translation, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is pronounced in Hebrew something like Yahweh. It is built, the name Yahweh is built on the word for I am, but it's not the same. It is not the same. Every time we hear the word Yahweh or we hear the short of it, like Yah, by the way, we just use that in worship time. When we sang hallelujah, hallelujah, we're saying praise in Hebrew, Yah, praise Yahweh, without saying his full name. Hallelujah. And so every time we are saying his name, we are reminding ourselves that this name is built on the, the word for I am, that this name is built on the fact that God absolutely is. Now, I got to unpack this because this really is amazing that God has given himself this name over, over 400 times used in your Old Testament. And every time we hear it, we need to think about he is. He absolutely is. Now, what does that mean? 
What does it mean that God is the God who can say, I am that I am? What does it mean that he absolutely is? Well, it means that he never had a beginning. It means that he will never, ever end. It means, God's absolute being means that he is utterly independent. He needs nothing. God's absolute being means that all that is not God is secondary and is dependent on God. The entire universe came into being because God spoke it into being. That's the only reason it came into being. And it stays in existence because God holds it together. All he's got to do is decide to let it go. We are everything in the universe, including us, we are dependent upon him. But he is not dependent on anything or anybody because he is. He absolutely is. That means that he is constant. It means that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot be improved. He is not becoming anything. By the way, at TCU, there's a, a false theology taught in their theological school right there in Fort Worth. And SMU as well, called process theology, that God is becoming And that is heresy because God absolutely is. He's not becoming anything. He's already perfect. How do you improve on perfect? He is who he is. There's no development in God. He's not developing. He's absolute perfection. God absolute being means that he is the absolute standard of truth. He's the absolute standard of goodness. He is the absolute standard of beauty. He himself is a standard of what is right, what is true, and what is beautiful. God's absolute being means that God does whatever he pleases. And he's always right when he does it. It's always beautiful. It's always in accord with the truth. God's absolute being, being means that there is no constraints on him that are outside of him. He is the most important person in the universe. He is the most valuable reality in the universe. He is more worthy of our interest. He's more worthy of our attention. He's more worthy of our admiration. He's more worthy of our enjoyment than all other realities combined. So this is the truth that God starts with revealing about himself that he absolutely is. Therefore, It is a cosmic outrage multiplied a billion times over that he should be ignored or treated as negligible or questioned or criticized or treated as virtually nothing and given less thought by most people than the carpet in their house. He is central to all reality. He is central to our lives. He absolutely is. Now, this is key. We must believe this about God, that he absolutely is, because that will affect how we then choose to live our lives, realizing we are utterly, totally dependent upon the one who absolutely is. 
And he holds us together, he holds it all together, and we should want to live our lives for him. So now we move from that to the next thing that's going to happen in this story is God is now going to call Moses to do something. And let me remind you again, Moses was called by God. But you are also called by God. If you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have a calling on your life. What we're going to see in this interchange between God and Moses is Moses is going to resist this call. He's going to make excuses why he can't do this call. And we're going to see in this, this, in this dialogue between God and Moses that some of the same excuses that Moses uses are ones that we could probably relate to. But I want you to notice that with each excuse, God answers it. He answered Moses's, and he answers ours. So let's go ahead and look at this encounter again, Exodus 3.1. Let me read it again. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro and his, his, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous light, sight. So why is the bush not burned up? When the Lord, there's Yahweh, when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, if seeing a burning bush that is not consumed doesn't get your attention, then having a bush talk to you ought to get your attention. So God waited till Moses was close, and he says, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am. By the way, write this down. When God gets your attention, pay attention. Perhaps God has put someone on your heart Maybe some need that needs to be met. Maybe some ministry that needs to be done. It's on your heart. Or some relationship that needs to be mended. When God gets your attention, pay attention. If there's a fire in your heart, you, just keep, you can't seem to put it out. You can't seem to douse it. That face keeps coming back in your mind's eye. That situation keeps, you keep reminded of. When God keeps bringing it back, when he gets your attention, pay attention. God speaks. He's speaking to some of you already. He's going to speak to all of us, I believe, before this time together is up. If he lights a fire in your heart about something, pay attention. Don't ignore it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't walk away from it. Don't try to forget about it. Pay attention to it. God is real. And if he's burning something in your heart, he's speaking. He is speaking. The voice of God is real. So when you hear him speak, pay attention. Now, what is it that God's saying to Moses? Let's jump in. Verse 7. The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So God heard the cries of the Israelites in slavery in Egypt, and he says this. He tells Moses, so I have come down to deliver them. Now, I think this must have been good news for Moses. 
I mean, Moses has seen all these injustices done by, by these Egyptians to the Israelites. He's seen children, you know, abused. He's seen people killed. And God says, I've heard the cries, Moses. I'm coming down. I think Moses is probably thinking, yeah, get him, God. You ever felt that way? That you just want God to go, just go get him, God. Fix it. But then he says, after he says, I'm coming down, he says, so I'm sending you. I think Moses might have been thinking, wait a second, wait a second. You just told me you're coming down. And then you said something about me going? See, as God sees it, Moses' going was God's coming down. Many times we pray to God for an answer. We're asking for an answer. A lot of times the answer is from God, you go. I'm answering it. You go. You witness. You speak. You, you bring healing. You offer forgiveness. You go and you fix it. Now, at this point, it's very easy for us to think of, you know, I think what Moses is going on in his head and our head also when God calls us is we start to think all the reasons why this isn't going to work. All the reasons why, God, your plan is not going to work. And so Moses begins to make his excuses. See, if you relate to any of these, excuse number one. He says, I'm a nobody. I have nothing to offer. All right, Exodus 3.11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? This is one of the big reasons why a lot of believers never fulfill their calling. You have a calling, but a lot of times we get derailed right at the beginning by, by, by responding with, Who am I to do this? I'm a nobody. God can't use me. Well, here's God's answer to Moses. And his answer to us if we use that excuse in verse 12. And God said, certainly I will be with you. In other words, I'm not telling you to go by yourself. I'm not telling you to go alone. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be the one doing all the heavy lifting, God says to Moses. See, God is not looking for extraordinary people. This is so important that we get this. God is not looking for extraordinary people. And by the way, there was nothing extraordinary about Moses when God met him at the burning bush. He's not looking for extraordinary people. He's looking for ordinary people who will trust in an extraordinary God. A friend of mine, we were together uh, some time ago. It was after I'd been in another country. I was doing a pastor's conference, and God did some powerful things at this conference. And we were talking about it, and he looked at me and he said, I just have one question to ask you. I said, what? He said, why you? And my simple answer was, because I said yes. See, God is not looking for extraordinary people. He's looking for ordinary people who will just say yes and trust an extraordinary God to do what only God can do. So God's got a call on your life. Don't make the excuse that, you know, who am I? But you, God's not calling you to do it alone. He will go with you. He will do the heavy lifting. Well, you think Moses is through with excuses? He's just getting started. Excuse number two, I don't know what to say. Exodus 3.13, then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. I shall say to them, the God 
of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? I don't know what to say. Now God's answer to that excuse is in the next verse. Exodus 3.14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said to him, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In other words, God's saying, I'll tell you what to say. That's still the answer to us. We think, okay, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and make this move to talk to that person, but I don't know what to say. Well, God says, well, I'm going with you, and I'll give you what to say. Now, you may not even get what to say until you're right, right there in the midst of that conversation, but trust him. Trust him. He will give you what to say. Well, you think, well, that's, that's the answer to those two excuses. Are you done, Moses? No, he's not done. Excuse number three. What if they don't believe me? Exodus 4, when Moses answers, said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? God answers in the next verse. Verses two through four, he says, Lord said, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. Now he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Verse 5, that, the, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, has appeared to you. So I've got a staff here. I just want you to get this simple picture in your mind. I hope you never forget. So Moses has a staff, and God says, throw it on the ground. Was that hard to do? And then God turned it to a snake. Then God says, pick it up by the tail. So he fearfully probably picks up the snake, the tail, and poof, it turns into a staff. See, God called Moses to do the possible, and then he would do the impossible. God said, throw it on the ground. That's the possible. I can do that. And God does the impossible. He turns it to a snake. See, God is not asking us to do the impossible. When God calls us, all he's asking us to do is the possible. Then he will do the impossible. You know, if I'm in a situation and I'm, and, and I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and I find out that they're sick or they have a problem, I, I say, by the way, I'm talking, can I just go ahead and pray for you? I can pray for them. I can lay my hands on them, pray for them. That's the possible. But then God could release healing. That's the impossible. But God is waiting for us to do the possible. He's waiting for us to respond to the call, to take a step, to open up that conversation, to, you know, to, to you know, try to mend that relationship, whatever it is. He's, he's asking us to do the possible. And then he says, I got the impossible. I just want you to trust me for that. So God is not looking for extraordinary people, but ordinary people that will do the possible and trust him for the impossible. Okay, so Moses is done, right? Nope, he's not done. Excuse number four. I'm not a good speaker. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently or in the time past, nor since thou hast spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I mean, Moses is thinking, I know what it's like in Pharaoh's court. And man, there's eloquence there. I mean, you talk about rhetoric. It's over the top. And here I am, I'm a shepherd, and I couldn't even qualify for Midian's Got Talent. You know, and you want me to go into Pharaoh's court. He said, I can't do it. So God says, objection overruled. Here's what he says. His answer to this excuse, verse 11, chapter 4. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? 
Or who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, I, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. See, God's basically saying, look, I know exactly what you can do. I know exactly what your mouth can do. I made it. See, here's the truth. The truth is you are perfectly designed by God to do what he called you to do. You are designed by him to do what he's called you to do. He knows exactly what we can do. He knows all of our limitations. So when there's a calling, he wants us to go and trust him to do the impossible. So what? So God's answered every excuse, right? So Moses is finally going to go, right? No, Moses says this. This is really amazing. Verse 13 of chapter 4, he says, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. In other words, okay, Lord, there's got to be a better candidate than me. I mean, I'm wanted for murder. I mean, you know, I, yeah, I don't speak well. I stumble all over myself. I'm a shepherd, a lowly shepherd out here in the desert. I mean, he's on and on, and the Lord just like had enough. By the way, this is one of the few times in the Bible it says the anger of the Lord burned against him. I mean, God is, you know, he's done with this, I mean, this conversation. Um, he is angry. It says in Exodus 4.14, then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Moses, I mean, he's like, it's like God saying, enough. I've had enough of this conversation. I chose you for this call. I, and I, you don't know all the purposes I have in mind. Lean, you're leaning on your own understanding. You need to trust in me. I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. I'm going to take, I'm going to, in fact, because you still have a problem, I'm going to send Aaron with you because he's more eloquent than you. And I'm going to be with your mouth and I'm going to be with his mouth. Now go. Do you feel unqualified to do the calling that God has in your life? If you do, welcome to the club. See, God is just looking for ordinary people that will trust an extraordinary God. He will do the heavy lifting. Now, some of you, God's already put something in your heart. Even during this this, uh, message, you've already thought about something that God's called you to do. But I think he wants to speak something to all of us. So I want to invite you to stand as we close. Just stand, and I'm going to just ask for about one minute, just one minute of silence. Close your eyes, because I believe, we know the Lord's here, and the Lord wants to speak, and the Lord has a calling on your life. So, Lord, we do ask you, Lord, as we're here waiting, would you speak right now to each one of us, the call you have on us? Lord, that person perhaps you want to bring to our mind's eye right now, that thing you want us to do, that ministry perhaps that you have been leading us to. Whatever it is, Lord, we just want to hear your voice. So now let's just be in quietness. Let's just listen to the Lord. Or that flame that's in each heart, would you fan that flame? And Lord, would you cause faith and courage to rise up in us? Lord, to take the next step, whatever that step is, and believe you and trust you to work. Thank you. You're not sending us alone. You're going to go with us. You're going to be with our mouth. You're going to be working 
situation. You're going to give us what to say. You're going to give prophetic understanding. We trust you for all that. And we ask you, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let us be men and women of the kingdom of God in a very real way today, this week, as we hear your voice and we don't let that, we don't try to put out that fire, but we listen to what you're saying, Lord, through the burning. And we trust you to do the heavy lifting and to bring yourself honor and glory. So we commit ourselves to that in Jesus' name.